I love that song, by the way. It's one of my favorites. Um, Deeper than the ocean, wider than the sea. His grace reaches me. I think it really uh, it capitalizes what we're here today doing. What we're here praising and what we are, what's all, what it's all about. I do, I want to begin, before we start, we have some great, great news. Uh, Clarence Gibbs, from what I understand today, he is turning 83 years old. And we need to give him a round of applause. That is a huge, huge miracle. After services, uh, I invite you to go approach him and say congratulations. Happy birthday. Give him a, a birthday hug 83 times uh, to celebrate, uh, you know, this momentous occasion. Uh, and we are so glad that he's a part of this church family today. Uh, yes, Sharon. Is his birthday today too? Oh, oh, oh. How many? How old are you, Jerry? Whoa. All right. I just heard Jerry Murray is 96 years old, and he is his birthday today too. So please, after services, approach both of them and give them hugs and, and, and well wishes. That's an, an accomplishment. Thanks, Sharon, for letting us know about that. That is fantastic. Great news, great news. Another bit of great news is that today we begin a new series. A series that I'm excited about, that Jake's excited about. It is a contextual series where we're going to be tackling the book of Ephesians. And Ephesians is a, it's a, it's a book in the Bible, it's a letter. Uh, it's only six chapters. And so for the next six weeks, we will be tackling a chapter a week. And so uh, during this these six weeks, I'd encourage you during the week to get your Bibles out and read the chapters because it's no surprise. Next week we'll be preaching on Ephesians 2, the next week 3, the next week 4. And so we'd love for you to be a part of this journey of exploration uh, spiritually. And Ephesians is an incredible, incredible book. And we see, if you do have your Bibles, I invite you today to go ahead and turn there to the book of Ephesians, the first chapter. The first verse. Because we see in Ephesians, the first verse, that this is a letter written by Paul, the apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. So we know that in Ephesians 1, this is a letter that's written by Paul to the community of faith in the city of Ephesus. And we know there has been some debate in the last 150 years whether it really was Paul who wrote this letter. But I personally believe of all the traits of this book, it's very, it's very Pauline, uh, this text. And I think that Paul did write this text. And who was Paul? Who can give me an example? It's a character of who this guy, who was him? Who was he? Who was Paul? He used to be Saul. Saul. That's right. He was, a, he was a devout Jew who, in the book of Acts, we saw had a conversion experience and became one of the most devout followers and the most influential people in the world because of all the letters he wrote. And, and our Bible is full of words that the Lord put in his heart to share with the people that he wrote to. It's believed that Paul, while he was imprisoned in Rome around 61 to 62 A.D., which is about 30 years after the death of Jesus, we believe that that's when he wrote this letter down. 
And he wrote this in, in Ephesians 1.1. 1, 1. It's, it's attributed to the people of Ephesus. Ephesus was a very important city at the time in Asia Minor, which currently today is modern-day Turkey. It was there on the sea. It was a coastal town. It used to be a port city. Uh, today, it's no longer a port city because the river and the natural port that existed has since it's been silted up. And so now the city of Ephesus, the ruins of Ephesus are five kilometers away. But at the time, it was a port city where there was lots of commerce and, and exporting and importing. The city was famous because of a temple. It was a spiritual city. The temple of Artemis was built there in Ephesus. And it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And because of this temple, Ephesus was a spiritual capital. There was talk of spiritual things. There was interest of spiritual matters. There was a large, one of the largest amphitheaters of that time that was built in Ephesus. And you can even today in the ruin, you can see the amazing work that was there in Ephesus. It's, it's mentioned in Acts, in Acts 18 and 19. Paul was there and, and traveled there on his missionary journey for two years. He lived in Ephesus. And we know in the book of Revelation that Ephesus was one of the seven major churches of Asia. It's also believed that the, the Gospel of John was possibly even written in Ephesus. The Apostle John lived there. And we can infer that that was the case, that the, Mary, the mother of Jesus, spent her last days there in Ephesus and was a part of this community of faith. Ephesus is now uh, a bunch of ruins. Have, have any of you actually been there to Turkey and visited the ruins there in Ephesus? It's, it's an, a, a remarkable place. I had the chance to go there several years ago, and I was with a group of people, and we were traveling, walking through the ruins, and they were telling us what this was and what that was. And I still remember going to that giant amphitheater that was there. It's a beautiful, beautiful amphitheater. You can stand in the front, and you can see just rows and rows of, of steps and, and seats. And uh, the group had went on, and I just had this experience that was so special to me there in Ephesus that after they had kind of walked on, I was by myself, and I, I just stood there. And I imagined what it would have been like thousands of years earlier when Paul was there. And it was a spiritual experience for me to just have walked in the same shoes as, as Paul. And I, I can't imagine, I've never been to, to Israel or Jerusalem, but I can imagine having that experience too uh, with with Jesus, where Jesus walked and talked and taught, uh, it must have been an amazing experience. But it's a, it's a beautiful uh, city, Ephesus, and now it's, 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 it's ruins, but the history there is evident. But here is where it gets interesting. Here is where it gets interesting, because the earliest and most reliable manuscripts of this letter, they do not have the words in Ephesus 1.1. 1, 1 in Ephesus. In fact, there is no, in the first manuscripts, in the earliest manuscripts written, there is no indication that this specific letter was for the people of Ephesians. That is left out. That was in later manuscripts, and now we have it in this Bible. But in the very first manuscripts, that part was left blank. It was open-ended. In fact, the scholar F.F. F. Bruce proposes 
that it was intentionally left in blank space there. And that the messenger, before delivering it to whoever church this was, would fill in the name of that church, uh, whichever church that he was visiting. And it makes sense if you think about it. Because the book of Ephesians is a very generic letter. Paul and other letters like Corinthians and Philippians, there's very specific problems that he addresses. Issues between people or issues that were very, very centered upon that particular church. But in the book of Ephesus, if you read it as we read it each and every week, we will see that this is a very generic letter. And you would think because he spent two years of his life there that he would know the people and he would mention them by name or he would say, how is this person doing? Or remember, you know, make sure you guys get along in this situation. But in Ephesus, it, it doesn't have any of that. It's, it's very generic. It's almost like it's a letter that was written just for any church that was ready and willing to listen. The scholar Clyde Snodgrass, which by the way is a fantastic name, Clyde Snodgrass, he writes about Ephesians. And he says Ephesians is the most contemporary book in the Bible. Apart from a few terms and the treatment of slavery, this letter could have been written to a modern church. I think I have a slide here too. It's written, written down. It describes the power God's Spirit gives for living. It shows who we really are without Christ and who we become both individually and corporately with Christ. It is about how we understand ourselves and how we get along with each other and with God. It is one of the most important works for understanding the church. The, uh, the author Mark Twain, he has that very famous quote that he talks about the two most important days in someone's life. He says, the two most important days in your life, number one, is the day that you were born. And second, it's the day that you find out why you were born. And in a lot of ways, this text, this letter in Ephesus, it addresses these questions. It talks about why we are here. It addresses who we are, who God is. What is this thing that is happening around us? Ephesians pushes us to define our identity and also to find our place with the creating God. And for the next six weeks, I'd love for us to imagine that that blank space that was there in the earliest manuscripts. I want us to imagine, to step into the shoes of listeners and imagine that Paul was writing this letter to us. In fact, are the slides not working? Uh, they're not working? Okay. Uh, there's a, a slide where it says Ephesians 1.1. What if we were to imagine that in this first verse that Paul, an apostle of Christ, Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Dallas, Texas, the faithful in Christ Jesus. So that would be our task for the next six weeks to imagine that this letter was written to us. That Paul in Rome in the year A.D. 61, 62, 
that he was writing this letter and that we are the recipients of this letter, learning and gleaning wisdom from what he has to say. And here is the deal. I promise you that if we do this, if we go and we step in the shoes of the, of the readers, that Ephesians will take your breath away. Literally, it will take your breath away when you realize and we believe what Paul is saying to each and every one of us. When we let the text sink in, when we see the majesty of God, when we realize the blessings of our inheritance as adopted heirs, our breath will be taken away with amazement. Ephesians will take our breath away. Literally, it will take our breath away. Because this next verse in Ephesians 3, verses 14, it's known in Scripture as one of the most, the longest run-on sentences in all the Scripture. In fact, in Greek, if you were to, if you were to read the Greek, Ephesians 3 through 14 is one sentence. You know, thankfully, that, uh, the translators have broken it up for us in English with several sentences. But in the Greek, in the original language, this is the most run-on sentence of all time that Paul just keeps writing and writing and writing. And there are some, some people say it's 240 words. I saw one source, it's 202 words. I'm not quite sure how many words it really is, but it is so long. And in fact, I thought it would be kind of fun for us today to read it together. And the game, it's a game uh, to see who can read this text the longest with one breath. <laughs> so if you can turn the slides, are they working the slides? All right, so this is the beginning. This shows, let's show all the text. There's three slides. This one, the next one, the next one. That's all one sentence in Greek. So if you could, if we could stand up together and start working your lungs. And uh, I have a prize for the person who can go the longest with one breath. The longest. So if there's any swimmers out here or uh, long distance runners, you might have the edge. But uh, if you could, we're going to, on the count of three, all take a big breath together. And as a community, we are going to read this and as long as you can. And when you, when you run out of breath, just stop talking. <laughs> and you can even sit down if you want. And I'll need the people around the person who's still talking to be the, the judges to tell me who lasted the longest. Okay, uh, so are we ready for this? To keep breath. Alright, one, two, three. Praise be to the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realm with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship. <laughs>
buy Starbucks. <laughs> that will get the Dean. That might buy you half a drink at Starbucks. But literally, this text takes our breath away. Uh, this is one, just one sentence in the Greek. And uh, it's an amazing sentence that declares the majesty of God and how amazing uh, this thing that we all are all about is. I will read the rest of this from 15 to 23. In verse 15 it says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. This is Paul writing to us here in Dallas. I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. The power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything in the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Ephesians 1, as you can see, is an incredible book. It paints a picture of an amazing God. It paints a picture of who we are and what is going on in this world. And the question that we are going to ask ourselves today with Ephesians chapter 1 and throughout these six weeks when we explore this chapter, this, this amazing letter. The question is, do we believe this? Do we really believe what Paul is saying here? Do we really, truly, at the very core of our being, do we believe what this text is saying to us? Do we believe what this text says about God? Do we believe what this text says about who we are in relation to God? And do we believe, this is a decision that we need to make as individuals, but also as a collective, do we really believe what this letter is saying? Because I believe that if, if we really believe it, if it truly is something that comes into our hearts and we believe what this is saying, this is transformative. And it will truly take our breath away. Because how is God described in Ephesians chapter 1? God in Ephesians chapter 1, if we were to take all the verbs that describe what God is about here on this earth, it talks about a God in Ephesians 1, in Ephesians 1, who blesses, a God who chooses, a God who adopts, a God who cleanses, who redeems, who freely gives, a God who lavishes. Isn't that a beautiful word? Lavishes. In Ephesians 1, it speaks about a God who lavishes things upon his adopted children, who makes known things, the mystery, and who brings unity. 
This is a, these are amazing verbs that describe the creating God. And we can't fully know who this God is. But this text gives us a glimpse of the character of God. And the question is, do we believe in this God? Is this the God that we believe in? And then you ask in Ephesians 1, well, these are very nice verbs. Why? What, what's behind it? Well, in verse 4, it says that love is the very basis behind this God. Then in verses 5 and 9 in Ephesians chapter 1, it says that it's in accordance with his pleasure and his will. That all these things that we just read, all these amazing verbs, that he does this because it brings him pleasure. Incredible that this story, this is what we're all about. The story of scripture, the narrative, the acts of God that we see, it's all based on love and pleasure. Is that how we view God? Is that how we see the God that we have come here today to sing to, to, to honor, to pray, to God of love and a God who at the ultimate core, this is all about joy and pleasure. It's almost like this artist who's painting this amazing picture with a grin on the face. Just loving every moment of this amazing story that's happening. This is the picture of God in Ephesians chapter 1. Oftentimes people view God as this angry, almost grumpy uncle that needs to be appeased. That we do this so that this, this God will get, get angry. Or, or that, that God doesn't care about us. And this is all just, we're just pawns in this game. But Ephesians 1 speaks about a creating God who acts and who gives and who lavishes and who reveals and who frees, frees us. And it's all based on love and joy. How beautiful is that? That is the God that we serve. And the question that we'll have to face during these weeks is, do we believe that? Because if we do, man, that'll take our breath away. What about us? What does Ephesians 1 say about who we are? In the face of God, do you know that in Ephesians, the term in Christ, that term in Christ, those two words, that is used more than 30 times in this small letter of 60, of six chapters. People, that says something there, that our identity in Christ, that who we are in Christ is something that is amazing. What does it say about who we are as individuals and as a collective in Christ? Well, here are the, the verbs and, and words that were used to describe us in Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed, chosen, holy, and blameless in his sight. Adopted, redeemed, forgiven, marked with a seal, Holy Spirit, recipients of an inheritance, free. I ask you the same question. Do you believe that about yourself? Is that who you believe that you are? Because we all know that in this world that we live in, there are a thousand people telling us who we are and that what our value is based upon. Your employer. Your employer is telling me that your value is based on your productivity, how useful you are in the business. Or if you're a parent, sometimes we can get trapped in thinking that our value and worth is dependent upon how our kids behave. Or what the choices that they are making. Or some of us who are in abusive relationships, we don't want to get out because there's a voice telling us that we deserve it. 
that we're not good enough like everybody else, that this is just our lot in life. What are the voices that you are hearing in your head that tell you who you are? And is it different than what Ephesians 1 is telling you about your identity? Someone who is blessed and chosen, holy and blameless in his sight, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, marked with the seal, recipients of inheritance and free. Do you truly believe that you are free in Christ? Because if you do, it will take your breath away. Finally, what does this text say about what God is up to in this world? What is God up to? This whole thing that we're about here, that we're, we've gathered here to celebrate, that we live on a continual basis, the way that Alan talked about during the communion thoughts. What is God up to? You know, verse 4, it says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to, uh, to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Verse 11 is very similar. It says, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. So what does this text tell us about what is going on? The words that, that came to my mind are planned, calculated, predestined. This is not an accident. This is not a reactionary. This is God is up to something. Something that he began thinking about at the very beginning of time. You know, sometimes we think, man, this, this Jesus guy, this must have been God trying to fix his mistake. You know, like, like he created the world and then he realized, oh man, these, these people, they, they sin. And you know, they're, they're broken and they're corrupt. And so, man, what, what am I going to do here? I just don't know. Oh, I got an idea. How about I send Jesus to come down and come down on the cross for the forgiveness of the sins. And you know, he'll show them what love truly means. And we think that this was an afterthought, that God was trying to pick up his, you know, make, you know, make up a mess that he had created. But in Ephesians 1, we see, no, man, that God has is up to something. And Jesus was a part of this plan. What happened in the Old Testament was a part of this plan, and we are also a part of this amazing plan that God is up to something in the world. It's, it's precise. It's calculated. You know, we, we are able to choose our path at the same time with God. He has put into motion something at the very beginning of time that, that is calculated and planned. He is up to something Amazing! God is still at work. And this is, a, this is a comforting to me when I read the news, when I see about the injustices of the world, when I read, I'm just so discouraged sometimes when I, when I read about how families are being separated or how there's shootings that, that keep on happening in this country or, or that there's injustice. And you begin to think, is, is this world going to be okay? Is, this, is everything falling apart around us? Are we on the verge of explosion? And then we read in Ephesians chapter 1 that yes, there is injustice. There is areas where we as a collective need to stand up and make the change as people. But through it all, that there is something, this God, this divine, that is working in the souls of humanity to make it better. God is still at work. There is still hope because God is up to something. In fact, in verse 10, 
There's this very long Greek word that also takes your breath away. Anakephalisostai. Can you guys say that? Anakephalisostai? Excellent, Debbie Crab. That was fantastic. And I actually preached a sermon about this, uh, I think last year. A whole sermon on this, on this word. But it's this, it's this math term that Paul uses in Ephesians 1 to describe what God is up to. It's a math term where you take all these different equations and numbers and you're summing it all together. And it's a word that describes that this creator God, the God that we are here to pray to and sing to and serve, this God, this divine being is up to something, is still at work in our life, in the life of our neighbor, and that working to sum up, to gather all things together for, for his ultimate glory. God is doing something in the world, and he's doing it by his good pleasure. And as we go through this book in the next couple of weeks, which I am so excited about, and I hope that you come back and, and join with us on this journey in Ephesians, we are going to be faced with the question, do we believe this? Because it's pretty, pretty powerful stuff in Ephesians. But do we want to go there with our whole hearts and believe what Paul is saying about who God is? who we are, and what's happening here in this world. One quick story and one quick quote to end today. The story happened in Lima, Peru, uh, where I used to live as, as, uh, as a missionary. And uh, I had decided that I wanted to be a missionary uh, my sophomore year in college at Texas A&M University. And uh, I finished my degree there, went to graduate school at ACU, and I had this, I was on track to, I knew that I wanted to be a missionary, so I had all these things I was doing, my career plan, training, get over there, getting a team together. Finally, we got to Lima, and the dust had settled. I moved in. The family was great. It was my first day to get to work. And I walked out of my house, and I realized, well, what am I going to say? I hadn't really thought about it. Like, do I really believe this? Do I really believe what the Bible says? I didn't, it's so weird. I didn't even think about it. I was so goal-oriented. I, I knew that I wanted to go, but you know, I was about finishing my, my career, my, my degree, you know, getting the team together, going through training. But I hadn't really asked the deep question of my soul. Do I really think this Christianity thing is a good idea? You know, here I was in Peru, supposed to share the good news. And I hadn't even thought about like, whether it was good news. Like, really? Like, what, what do I have to offer to these people? I mean, to come to a Sunday morning service on, on Sundays and hear a guy talk for 30 minutes, that's not, that's not good news. Like, I really had to think about it. Like, what is the good news? What, what is this all about? And do I really believe that Jesus is Lord and that he is risen and that this is the way that brings life and peace and joy? I really had to go there in my heart, and I hope that in these weeks, that as we read Ephesians, that we allow life to slow down enough to ask the same question to ourselves. Do we really believe what this is saying? Do we, do we really believe what we sing about? Do we really believe what we pray? Or are we just going through these empty emotions? Do we really, really, with our heart and soul, go there? We are invited right now to go to that place and ask ourselves. And here's the quote. Do you have it here by Eugene Peterson? 
This is a, written about a book, this is written by Eugene Peterson about Ephesians, that Paul is playful, extravagant, and totally engaging as he tells what is going on in this God-created, Christ-saved, spirit-blessed world into which we've been born and now are growing up. This is no small, cramped world in which we live from hand to mouth. The horizon is vast, the heavens are high, the oceans are deep. And we, these next couple weeks, are invited to step into this vastness, this beauty, and ask ourselves, do we really believe in what this is saying? We're invited to do that. And today, you're invited to respond if your heart tells you to do that. You're invited to respond to the invitation of being baptized in Christ, which Ephesians talks about. Being a disciple of Him and living as if He would live. You're invited to come if you have any prayers or concerns. While together, we stand as we sing.